Are you a Dragon Boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon-fiber Dragon Boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the Dragon Boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Thanks for listening in. On this episode, Sonia Negley, Executive Director of Metaviver, joined us on the podcast. She talked about the mission of Metaviver and the importance of supporting research for stage four breast cancer. She also talked about the programs that are available through the organization, fundraising events, and how you can get involved. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. I'm here today with Sonia Negley. She is the executive director from Metaviver. I'm so excited to have you on the show with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, actually, I want to talk a lot about Metaviver. Um, you guys are doing amazing work within the breast cancer community. Um, and so I really want to bring to light what it is that you guys are doing. Um, but I, I want to start with how Metaviver came about. So um, who started the organization, when it was started, and really why it was started? Well, that is a great question. We There were four metastatic breast cancer patients who um, came together out of a need for support. Um, they were in the Annapolis, Maryland area, and um, that was Avis Halversat, Rhonda Rhodes, and Karen Presswood, and uh, Diane Corneason, she, she goes by CJ, um, and those four came together out of the need for support. So, they initially formed a support group just for metastatic breast cancer patients. And um, part of that need was that they were with early stage breast cancer patients um, in a support group. And uh, there are things that are very different about early stage and late stage disease. And one of those things is that uh, late stage disease is terminal. And um, they felt like they needed the support of each other. And so they left and formed a support group, which although the members have changed, that support group is still in place and was the impetus for Metavivor's peer-to-peer program. So as time went on, uh, three of our founding members have passed away and Diane Corneason still remains um, uh, as a director emeritus of Metavivor. Wow. So, yeah, so it was really exciting. That, that was the support group. Um, and as folks started meeting and joining the group, they decided 
that they were going to raise money for metastatic breast cancer and they were going to donate it to an organization. And so they did that. Um, the money they raised, they worked very hard to raise about $55,000, which was, them. yeah, which was great. And so they, they um, reached out to different organizations to see if they would earmark the funds for metastatic breast cancer cancer and they couldn't find an organization that would do that so that is, um, I'm gonna pause for just one second so what year was this I don't know if you mentioned this that was 2008 uh to in the 2008-2009 range okay mm-hmm. so you know I mean metastatic breast cancer has been around for long periods of time um yes but to to hear that there was not an organization that would earmark the money specifically to um, metastatic breast cancer survivors. Like it, I'm holding back tears right now because it just breaks my heart that there wasn't somebody that was advocating for that need. Um, exactly, mm-hmm. and it was um, it was a it was very difficult at that time to even find anyone who would talk about metastatic breast cancer. And um, they, this group of women formed um, Metaviver. And um, at that point, they said, you know, if if somebody else isn't going to fund metastatic breast cancer, then we will. And they brought together a strong group of leaders um, to serve as part of that board and uh, gave their first grant to um, Dr. Danny Welch, who is still, if you can believe it, after all of this time, he is um, he has served on our scientific advisory board for almost 10 years now. Wow. Uh-huh. And so, um, yeah, so the, the program has evolved and um, we are still the only organization in the U.S. that uh, solely funds stage four metastatic breast cancer through a peer reviewed uh, process. And we get over 200 grants every year, 200 grant pro- proposals every single year and we wish we could fund every single one of those oh i'm sure i'm sure and i'm still i'm sorry i'm just a little stuck um because there are so many breast cancer organizations that are out there um that you know i wholeheartedly believe and i i told you this before we you know came onto the podcast that every organization is based on a need that is not being fulfilled and um you know it just it it really is mind boggling to me that there would not be an organization that would see that there would be a need to support these people um, who are diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. I mean, I, I don't believe that anyone diagnosed with cancer of any kind, um, what, no matter what stage they're in should ever be thrown into a corner and ignored. You know, it's, I wholeheartedly believe that is so wrong. So I am beyond grateful um, that these four women decided, absolutely not. This is not okay. So let's make a shift and let's do something different. Absolutely. And I think that uh, Metaviver has been a change agent. Absolutely. uh, For the way that people view uh, metastatic breast cancer and, and have actually... 
uh, really done some strong work in addition to the research that we funded um, to make sure that metastatic breast cancer is more common. It are, there is more knowledge about metastatic breast cancer. But honestly, there are still, we still hear stories every day about people who um, are put in a corner because of their diagnosis. And it should never be that way. Absolutely not. I mean, nobody, nobody's life. And I, I have said this early on um, when I did a research project for um, graduate school that I was doing that nobody's life should ever come with like a price tag on it. Right. Like nobody's life is more or less valuable, you know, and, and, you know, even though we realize that, you know, statistically metastatic breast cancer survivors are likely, you know, the, the likelihood of, um, you know, them passing is much greater, right. Because, it's tra- you know, the cancer has traveled to other parts of their body. Um, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be focusing our efforts there. In fact, I would think that we would be wanting to focus more of our efforts there because every single person that fits into that stage deserves to live as much as anybody else does. Exactly. And, you know, the you know, the cruel truth is that um, 30% of people who have early stage disease go on to metastasize one day, one month, 30 years later. And so if we solve it stage four, then it really helps all, everyone with breast cancer. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and, and I don't understand why um, that isn't something that's understood. Um, but again, I'm glad that Metaviver is stepping into that space and, you know, bringing this to light so that people can understand that this is really, this is really the place to start. And this is really the place to focus our efforts. Absolutely. And I think that probably in the last really three years that people have become more comfortable talking about it and that there is more help and support for people living with metastatic breast cancer. And um, just to go back to one thing you said about a price tag on someone's health, you know, along with that is an expiration date. Like we would love to get rid of the expiration dates for, for people who live with this disease because it is terminal and it is, um, it's a tough disease because once you're diagnosed, most likely you will be on treatment for the remainder of your life. And that is very difficult on patients. I mean, they may still have their hair or they may look good, but it doesn't mean that they're not suffering every day. And uh, this is something that we just really should focus on and get get it under control and really put effort toward research for life extending treatments. And that's a, that's a great point. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, you know, and, and I hadn't thought about it that way, but yes, you know, not getting rid of that expiration date and, and you're so right. Um, I have a very, very dear and close friend, Amber. Um, she was 
previously on the podcast, but she's stage four. She's metastatic. And, um, you know, she looks healthy and she, you know, if you saw her walking down the street, you would not know. You know, there's no sign over her head that says, you know, I'm stage four metastatic breast cancer, nothing like that. But I know that every day for her, um, you know, it's, you just never know. Like, what is this ache or pain? What does this headache mean? What does, you know, what does all of this stuff mean? Um, so yeah, I, I'm so glad that you brought that point up. And, and to that point, the, the patients with metastatic breast cancer are fierce and um, they're on a clock. And so they become amazing advocates and they really mask the symptoms that are inside and may not be showing on the outside. They really mask those. And, and oftentimes I forget, I, I have a board that's made up primarily of metastatic breast cancer patients. And sometimes I forget because they do such a good job of covering up um, those side effects or um, the aches and pains and fatigue that they feel every single day. Right. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, um, so the, this, what is the primary goal, if you will, of Metaviber? I mean, I feel like there are so many components to it, um, but what is the primary focus of Metaviber? Well, we're a volunteer-led organization, and, and we are, as I mentioned, primarily led by patients. We have a huge um, volunteer network, and we train volunteers on a monthly basis. We just love our volunteer support. Um, the focus of our organization is to fund critical research that will lead to advances in treatment options, quality of life, and survival for patients that are diagnosed with stage four metastatic breast cancer. So we're not in the space to uh, pre- for metastatic breast cancer prevention. We feel like solving it stage four does prevent that, but um, you know, there's a place for um, all different type of diagnostic tests or, you know, early treatment, but that is not our space. We are looking to solve at stage four. So stage four metastatic breast cancer research is our primary goal. And we put 100% of every donation that we receive toward research grants. So we look to other sources of funding for um, operation, operations or um, operating the organization. So, um, but 100% of every single donation goes to research. Wow. And you said, if I'm not mistaken, you get over 200 requests a year? Um, research proposals. Yeah. Each year we open our research program in uh, January or February, and um, we this year we're funding three different awards. So we have an early career investigator award. We have a translational research grant, and this year we have our founders award, which um, will be more clinical research. It's a larger grant, um, and we're just so thankful to our donors for us being able to to have this mix of grants now 
um, a lot of people said, oh, well, why are you giving a smaller grant for early career investigators? For a lot of our um, early career or young investigators, it is so difficult to get grants to study metastatic breast cancer or cancer metastasis in general. So there are very few places that fund research. And so we were finding that um, young investigators were leaving the field and we can't do that. Like that's not going to work. We need, we need need more research. Yeah. We need them. (laughs) And they usually have very novel approaches to, um, to research. And so we really wanted to encourage those investigators to stay in the field of metastasis research. And um, so we get a lot of early career uh, investigator proposals, also our translational research grants, even people who are uh, researchers who are career metastasis researchers still have a difficult time with funding. There's just, it's, there's such a small amount of money that goes toward uh, breast metastatic breast cancer metastasis research that two to five percent um, right right two to it just depends on the year but it's woefully small absolutely. and it is a huge gap for us absolutely um, and so we're we've been trying to increase our funding to make up for it but um you know we need to be in the 20, 30, 40, 100 million range. So we can not only have bench research for um, metastatic disease, but also be able to um, help scientists get the treatments that they discover to market. And so clinical research becomes very expensive um, to be able to do a phase one, a phase two, or phase three clinical trial to be able to bring a treatment to market. So um, we, it can't come fast enough for us. We really want this to happen now. And, um, and we can't wait. Our patients can't wait. And that's the hard part is, you know, the clinical trials do take time. You know, it does take funding to do all of that stuff. Um, you know, my husband and I used to donate um, to specific clinical trials back in Pittsburgh um, that were designated. Um, I don't even remember what it was, but we, you know, we would donate when we could for those kind of things. I don't know that it was specific to metastatic breast cancer, you know, at that point in time, I don't even know that we were necessarily, I mean, we knew about metastatic breast cancer, but the conversations weren't happening. You know, it still was kind of that thing off in the distance that nobody was talking about. Um, Absolutely. You know, but it, it, it's, it is one of those things where it, it takes money, it takes time. And, but the need for it was yesterday. Exactly. It is, it's just an imperative um, narrative now, like we, we lose 114 people every day to metastatic breast cancer. That's epidemic proportions. And we, and we've not really made a whole lot of headway, um, except in the past, maybe three years. And, um, that's brought on, um, progression-free survival 
but our overall survival rates are still very low. And, um, you know, progression-free survival is up to the five-year point, and then after five years is overall survival. But even then, at five years and one day, um, you know, somebody may not live past that point. So we, we really, there's so many great research projects that we feel like will have great benefits, but we've got to keep pushing those along and um, not just treatments, but we're now finding more researchers that are looking at discoveries that um, are not just treatments, but treatments that limit or maybe have no toxicity to the patient because it's not just the disease. Sometimes it's the toxicity of the treatments that can be either debilitating or affect quality of life or, um, you know, even um, have a, a, a not intended outcome. So, right. It's very important that we do this. Absolutely. So what are some of the things that, um, you know, you've, you've talked about 100% of the donations go to that research. So how do people get involved with, um, you know, giving donations? I mean, obviously you have a website. Um, I'm sure they could go to the website and make a monetary donation, but I know that you have events um, that you do, I'm sure that are fundraising events. So what are some ways that people can um, donate or, you know, participate in the fundraising um, to help support the research? Well, that is fabulous. We do we do have other programs to support patients that are living with metastatic breast cancer. Um, and we have a, a very tiny staff. So we don't do our own fundraisers, but we are so thankful for people that um, do f- fundraisers for us. And most of the people that do fundraising are either caregivers, um, or support somebody with metastatic breast cancer or the patient themselves. Um, We have events that our patients do throughout the U.S. and they're called Metsgrades. And it's an event that was created by uh, two patients and one one of our board members now, but uh, one of the patient's husbands um, in Northwest Arkansas, they created the Northwest Arkansas Metsgrade. And since that time, they've been able to um, document the procedures and we've shared those out with other communities. And now we have nine different Mets grades that will be coming up, 10 different Mets, Mets grades will be coming up for 2020. And that for us is um, a big source of research revenue. Um, those fundraisers go um, toward our, toward research. Um, we also have small fundraisers that are just so touching to us. Um, we have a, a really strong support community and every year in October we get requests from grade school kids that want to do um, fundraisers for us or they'll write these wonderful notes that say we did a penny drive in our classroom and we raised you know this money or we're going to have two schools that are going to compete in 
wear the metastatic breast cancer ribbon and um, all of the proceeds are going to go to MetaViber. So we are just so thankful for all of the fundraisers um, and the most incredible ideas that they come up with. Some of them I'm just amazed um, when I hear about them. Um, and then we I love also that. I'm have- sorry. I'm just going to pop in here real quick because I, I, you know, most organizations do their, you know, they, they, um, you know, schedule and plan and do all of their own events. But to hear that you have a group of caregivers and patients themselves and grade school kids who are like, this is what we want to do. And this is a fundraiser that we're going to um, do with all of the proceeds to come to MetaViber is, I mean, that, that is just touching. Um, I mean, that just is amazing. And kudos to those people who recognize that there is that need for that. Um, You know, that, that your staff is small. And so taking on, you know, fundraising events and doing all of that kind of stuff. I mean, that's a daunting task um, to say the least. Exactly. Yeah. So, but to be able to have different people around the country doing these fundraisers is fantastic. I mean, I'm, I'm like jotting down information, like, okay, how do we get, how do we get a Mets grade here at, at, in Phoenix, you know, and how do we work through that process? So um, that's, that's pretty exciting. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I I wanted to share that with you. Yes. Look, it amazes me. I've been in nonprofit, the nonprofit space my entire career. And um, it just amazes me at how beloved um, of an organization MetaViver is. And I think it's because the patients do take ownership of the organization and they do guide and direct the growth because they need it. They need for us to be able to fund additional research every year. And um, it's, you know, it's a great partnership. um, And that is what is so important. I mean, that's every day being able to understand on a personal level, what each patient is going through and why they want to do it. Um, I remember uh, last year in October, there was a, um, a teacher who had contacted me and she had a grade school. So it was a fourth grade class. And she said, hey, can you get on a Skype call and talk about metastatic breast cancer? This is the age group that you'll be talking with because they did a fundraiser. and." Um, and they want to ask some questions. And so um, I, you know, got on the Skype call and talked to them and they asked me questions. And at the end of the call, I said, well, I have a question for you guys. And they said, well, what is it? And I said, um, you know, what made you guys decide to pick MetaViver as your, um, for your donation, for the money that you raised? And this little boy said, well, my mom passed away last year. Aww. So it is, it was heart wrenching, but touching. And, um, you know, when, when all of the kids were asked, Hey, what, you know, what do you want to do for who, what cause would you like to raise money for? He stood up and said, you know, I would like to do this for my mom and, um, just so touching. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, his classmates were just, yes, (laughs) Absolutely. Let's do this. Absolutely. Let's do Absolutely. This. 
Yes, it's always a hard discussion, um, but it's, you know, we find that younger and younger uh, women are being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. Of course, it's anecdotal information, but um, they are, and it's particularly aggressive. And so there's... um, younger children who are having to deal with this. And it's just so difficult. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It is very, very heartbreaking. Um, and, and I would agree that it is, um, we are seeing many more young women who are being diagnosed with metastatic. And again, a lot of it is one, um, I think there's a tendency to ignore young women. Um, you know, I was diagnosed when I was 31 with breast cancer and, had it not been for me just kind of saying, you know, I'm, I'm concerned and I need to go, I think my doctor probably would have dismissed me. Um, and I hear a lot of stories about people being dismissed and, you know, you're too young, you're too young, you're too young. And if somebody doesn't know better, then it's one of those things where, you know, they're, they're just kind of pushed off and then it sits in their body and it continues to grow. And then it, you know, it is more aggressive and then it leads to, you know, metastatic breast cancer. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that's, that's one thing that we really try to stress is that while there's a place for diagnostic exams, mammographies, it does not save lives. Right. Um, what saves lives is being aware of your body and knowing when there's changes, um, not just with your breast, but any place on your body and being able to communicate that with your physician and then do the, take those steps that are necessary to figure out what's going on, um, whether that is a mammography. You, you probably at 31 weren't even old enough no, for I a wasn't. mammogram. Nope, mm-hmm. not at all. And so how do you know? I mean, we have, you know, people who are uh, 16 and 17 years old being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. Well, they're surely not going to have had a mammography. Absolutely. And they probably were more likely to be pushed off to the wayside and just, oh, you're 16, you're 17. There's no way that you would have breast cancer. Yes. Your breasts are still growing. That's what most of them Mm -hmm. hear. Absolutely. Uh, That pain in your breast, that's just, you know, still puberty. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, it's, it's really important though, that people think about, um, you know, just, I mean, they don't have to obsess over it, but just really being, um, aware of different changes in their body. Absolutely. I am always having that conversation. Just know your body, know if something changes, know if there's something different. Yeah. Because more often than not, the people that I talk to, are not diagnosed through a mammogram. Absolutely. You know, they're diagnosed through, oh, I happen to itch this specific area or I just happened to touch, um, you know, this certain place and I felt something weird. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's not that these these diagnoses are all coming from, you know, the annual mammograms, especially in young women. Absolutely. And I, a lot of the people I've, I've spoken with, especially if they're younger, um, you know, they may have been athletic and they're like, oh, I just started feeling a lot of fatigue or um, I had a pain in my hip. And, you know, they discover 
the um, where the breast cancer is spread, they discover that site first, and then they discover the primary tumor in the breast. So, um, you know, don't think, you know, if something lingers for a long time, don't shrug it off. Right. Definitely go have it checked. And it's not always just old age. <laughs> no, it isn't. Yeah. Or, oh, I pushed myself too hard at the gym. Right. It, you know, it might be something else if it lingers for a while. Right. So, you know, in addition to the research, there are, you know, you talked about a number of other things and I heard you say there's the peer-to-peer support and, you know, or the mentor. Um, so is yes. that... I'm assuming that's kind of like, you know, if I called and said, I need somebody to talk to, somebody would be able to connect me with another person that maybe their story was similar to mine. Is that kind of what that is? Well, uh, we look at it more geographically. Okay. So if a person says, hey, and we can do that, we can connect them with other patients with um, with a similar story, or if they need ongoing support. Um, We have trained peer leaders that have groups throughout the country. Um, We have a map on our website at www.metaviver.org, and um, they can look there to see if there's a peer leader in their area. Um, A lot of people look and go, oh, I don't see a peer leader in my city, Um, and we can help them get trained, and they can establish their group. We have materials um, for our peer leaders that they can leave at their cancer center or their libraries. Um, And then we have ongoing support uh, for, for those peer leaders. So we are just super thankful for them. They do a lot of things other than peer support too. They do metaviver support um, and help us on with other programs that we have that, uh, that we do throughout the U S um, one of those programs is called C2C for NBC, and we have a, a recreational vehicle or motor coach that um, is wrapped in different colors and information about metastatic breast cancer, and it literally goes um, from C to C. And we have patients and patient supporters that go on tour and speak at cancer centers and uh, luncheons and do events. And we even do pop-up fundraisers. And um, some of our patients even go and if they know uh, one of the a patient that's going to be maybe having treatment one day, they'll try to hop in and see them while they're having treatment. It's just a really um, exciting program. It allows us to distribute information, especially in those communities um, that are underserved or that maybe patients can't leave to go to a conference or learn additional information about clinical trials. We have the RV loaded with information about clinical trials, about metastatic breast cancer, um, pretty much anything, our peer support groups, anything that they could imagine. Um, And we do have a lot of one-on-one support and counseling that we do while we're on the road, uh, peer support, and uh, it's just a phenomenal program. Well, we had the... um very distinct pleasure last, I think it was last year, um, 
of C2C um, came through Phoenix, and I happened to coach the uh, Phoenix Desert Dragons Dragon Boat team. And so Rhonda Howell and her mom uh, stopped by, and they hopped in the boat with us, and they paddled with us, and then we went and had breakfast. We were able to go into the RV, um, check out the RV, and um, gather some information. So the C2C program is super cool. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know if my friend Jules has done it, or if she she did she did yeah yes. <laughs> um, sweet jewels yes. she saved us <laughs> <laughs> she's amazing um, yeah so yeah we uh, we did have that experience and it was really really cool and you know I do have a number in fact my team um, from what we were able to gather um, has the most um, metastatic breast cancer sur- survivors on our team um, that we're aware of um, in dragon boating so. It was it was really special for, you know, us to be able to tell them like make sure you come this day and get to um, meet Rhonda and her mom and um, just go into the RV and check it out and you know so we posted photos and so that was a really really cool um, and meaningful experience for all of us really. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we thank you guys so much. Um, it was an exciting time uh, for them coming there and. Uh, being able to do all of that, and that's one of the the big things um, that we try to do is uh, definitely take advantage of the different events and and folks like you, Melissa, uh, while we're on tour. It's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So we're getting really close to actually we've we've gone over typically what we do um but i feel like we could really just talk for forever because this is such great information um but before we um so two things that i i want to talk about real quick if we can is um before we started before we started recording today you shared with me that there was kind of a um taking over of a different program so do you want to talk a little bit about that Yes, um, we have um, just announced that um, Cancerland, um, some people know it as Project Cancerland um, or Hashtag Cancerland, which was an organization that was founded by Champagne Joy and her husband, Michael Hall. Um, Champagne was a metastatic breast cancer patient. She was a very big personality. Most people in the metastatic breast cancer community knew her and uh, knew her slogan. She was uh, one of the very dear friends of Mira Sorvino, who's been a huge advocate um, for Metaviver. Um, she's a phenomenal actress, but she's she's also supported she supported Champagne's work and she supported uh, Metaviver. And uh, Champagne passed um, in late 2017. And after her passing, um, the organization just felt like we they needed to align missions. And Champagne was a huge supporter of Metaviver. And so we are thrilled that uh, Cancer Lamb will be part of Metaviver going forward and that we've aligned our mission. So look for that hashtag Cancerland, and we've got some special things coming up that are centered around um, uh, Champagne and her goals and, uh, and Cancerland. I love that. And we'll definitely be sure to look out for that and um, share any information as we see that popping up. Um, and the one last, the one last thing that I want to um, talk about quickly as well is 
Um, you you shared a little bit about your inspiration for getting, um, you know, for, for stepping into the space with MetaViber. Um, you yourself are not a um, metastatic breast cancer survivor, but you have some, you know, somebody in your life that inspired you to come into the space. So um, share a little bit about that bef- um, before we go. Absolutely. Um, my sister, Debbie, um, was diagnosed in 2005 with metastatic breast cancer, and she did not um, find a lump in her breast. She actually was having some GI problems, and um, when they were moving her gallbladder, they found cancer, um, which was metastatic breast cancer to her liver. And uh, and um, at the time, I was working in um, kind of in that space, and uh, she had asked me, you know, can't you do something? Um, I had worked so hard to find clinical trial after clinical trial for her when she ran out of treatment options. And, um, and she, she lived an extended life during that period of time when there was not many treatments um, for her. And uh, she passed away in February of 2010. And so I just really wanted to to do something that would make a difference um, and hopefully find more life extending treatments to help people that, that were like Debbie. And she's just, she was a wonderful human being. Yeah. And what a, really what a great way to honor her. I mean, I know that you said that you've been in nonprofits for a very long time, but to, you know, step right into that space that um, really would impact people that are, you know, in, in the same situation as Debbie. Um, what a beautiful way to honor your sister. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm thrilled. I, you know, every day I work with people and um, that are, you know, that have metastatic breast cancer and they are brilliant, wonderful people that we really need to work very hard to save. Absolutely. 100%. I, um, I agree. So I want to thank you so much for the time that we spent together today. Um, I think we talked about so many different things and on all of the great work that MetaViver is doing. Um, again, for any of our listeners that um, are interested in learning more, please go to metaviver.org um, to find out more information. But Sonia, I really, really appreciate your time um, and anything that we can do to help to continue to support the organization. We will do that. Thank you for having me, Melissa. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast, our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.